All right, welcome. Welcome to uh, Redemption Church Tucson. As um, Paul said, we're one church in multiple congregations throughout um, Arizona, and my name is Dave. I'm the um, lead pastor here in Tucson, and it's, uh, it's just great to have you all here. It's great to be here together. Um, uh, one thing by way of introduction, just so you know, is I have a stutter, so just want to make sure that uh, you all know what that is, um, and so you're not trying to figure that out as we go. Um, it could be the freezing cold, or um, I'm also not feeling great, just to kind of let you know I'm not feeling kind of tip-top this mo- morning, and it might be that my body doesn't know what to do with uh, these temperatures. In fact, I heard there's um, going to be rain tomorrow, which if you've never, if you're from Tucson, that's craziest thing. Water comes from the sky. It's nuts. So anyway, be prepared for that. Um, so let me just hear where we're, where we're headed. Uh, if you're new, again, welcome. Want to get to know you. Want to kind of keep you up to speed on what we're doing right now. Um, in two weeks, we're going to be launching a new series. We're going to be in the book of Mark. And I'm really excited for that. It'll be our first time. We launched about four months ago. And so this will be our first time hunkering down in a book of the Bible, which we do um, um, as a church. And we will uh, do that for about a year and a half. We'll be in the book of Mark, just really spending time learning from God and being shaped by his word. And um, what we're doing, though, right now, we're still coming before the Lord, being shaped by his word. But we've been doing it since we launched We've been in a couple of short series, and so right now we're in a series called um, 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 Restored People, and we're, we're, we're spending some time really intentionally to talk about what it means to be restored, what Jesus, who said, Behold, I'm making all things new, um, what it means to be restored, to be made new as his people in the city, and then last week we talked about in the home, and this week we're talking about in the church. And um, similarly to last week, um, this might sting a little bit for um, some of us. So some of you are like, great, I was here last week, it hurt, and now we're back for more. Well, um, it, there's, there's goodness in that, right? It's, it's um, as in, in order for us to be healed and shaped and formed under the good news of Jesus, often that means having the bad news of our sin, our sinful condition exposed and revealed. And similar to last week, kind of the same theme is we saw that our kind of obsession with self and our kind of focus on what I want and what I want to get out of this life um, is it kind of consumes us. And that leaves us in broken states. We sort of swim in streams that we might not even know we're in, kind of polluted streams that we just will kind of um, swim in and float in. And that impacts how we are as a people, as a church. And um, in fact, um, we're a lot of us are more influenced by the American dream, right? This kind of kind of. Burger King, if you know um, their, their kind of theme, their motto is what? Have it, have it your way, right? Have it my way. And kind of our, our, our thinking about life is kind of a Burger King American dream, kind of have it my way. I'm in the driver's seat. The best place for me to be is to kind of pick and choose and take from everywhere in life and get what I want to build my life the way I want it to be. And that even informs how we function in the church. And um, one pastor famously said, Jesus saves us from the um, um, American dream. 
Okay, and so we're not anti, you know, getting better and kind of opportunity to grow and things like that. But at its very core, if our foundational drive in life is, um, I'm going to take life by the horns and make it all about what I want it to be, then um, that's, that's broken. And, and the good news of Jesus restoring us is he, he frees us from that kind of thinking. Um, so where we're going to be today, we're going to be, as we just read, in Acts chapter 2. So before I forget, um, if you don't have a Bible with you, if you'll um, hold your hand up high, and somebody will be sure to get you one. So yeah, uh, hold it up there, hold it high, and um, if you don't own one, please keep this one. Okay, we want to make sure everybody has a Bible, okay, that everybody owns one. So if you don't have one, this is our gift to you, go ahead and um, put your name in it, underline things, put question marks. If you do own one, you just forgot it today, go ahead and um, leave it in the back. So what we're going to see as we spend time in this scripture, this is the only place we'll be in these five verses, is we're going to see that through Jesus' restorative work, forming us as his people, as the church, that um, we get to live all of life worshiping Jesus. And we do that as we gather together, we do that through commitment to one another, and we do that through living on mission together. And um, as I said, we've used this, this kind of grotesque image and picture, is that um, we've kind of let scabs grow over the wound of our brokenness, and what we do is we submit to God's word as we see, um, hopefully, the Lord rips some of those scabs away in order for them to be exposed to where they can only be healed by the, the perfect work of Jesus and the hope we have in Him. Amen? Okay, so that's where we're at today. So kind of get, get ready for where we're headed. Um, uh, I just want to remind you on the front end, I'll remind you on the back end, I love you. It's an honor to be your pastor. And as we kind of dive into some of these things together, as the scab is ripped away, um, we together come uh, before God and expect Him to do a work Amongst us. So with that, let, let me pray for us as we, uh, as we uh, uh, head into this. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us the word. Um, Lord, thank you that uh, you, Lord Jesus, came to make all things new. And that, um, Lord, you love us too much to allow us to just kind of continue on in a self-centered, kind of selfishly driven pattern of life. And Lord, um, we got to talk about that in the home. And we got to talk about your work and your promise of making new what's been broken in the home. And so this week as we transition and we look how that um, relates to how we live in the church, um, we pray that you, will, that you will engage us. We pray that we will humble ourselves to your word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you will open our hearts and our ears and our minds to see the lies that we've believed and the lies that we tend to operate in and then reveal the truth and the goodness of a life lived surrendered to you. And Lord, how that is to be lived out in our life as a church. And so we're thankful and we're expectant now as we submit to your word, which you have said, um, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. And we believe that to be true. And we pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's, um, let's dive in right here, just right away, looking with me in Acts Chapter 2, verses 42 through 43. Let's just kind of start out and see um, how we are called to be a restored people as we gather together, worshiping Jesus. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. 
And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And then you see down in verse 46, I'll just read that kind of to give us some context. It says, And day by day they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their home. So let me just give some context for this, okay? First and foremost, some of you who have heard this before, you may have even heard the phrase, we need to get back to being in Acts chapter 2 church. Or we need to be a a first century church, right? The early church. We need to get back to that. And um, I agree and I disagree. Uh, On the one hand, um, we, we need to understand as we approach God's word that some things are prescriptive and some things are descriptive. So an example is a descriptive text would be um, uh, Jonah was called by the Lord to um, jump, out of, uh, jump out of the boat and, um, and then he was swallowed by a whale. That's a description of what happened there. Now there are some prescriptive principles in there, but we don't read that and say, okay, Jonah jumped from uh, the boat and um, we should do that too. So you're out on a cruise with your wife and you're like, peace out. I don't know about you, but I'm going to honor God. And so I'm jumping overboard. I mean, it's what it says, you know, to do. Jonah did it. So must I. Um, That's not a good way to read the Bible. Okay. That's a descriptive text. And some texts like here are, um, are both descriptive and prescriptive. There are principles telling us how to function as the people of God in the church. But, but they're also describing some things. They're describing a particular context in a particular time. So, for instance, these people gathered together in what's now called Solomon's Portico, um, which is uh, like a porch in the temple, on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. So, we don't read that and be like, okay, so we need to all move to Jerusalem and meet in this porch, which I've actually been there. It wouldn't really work for us right now. Um, today. And so, right, we don't do that. But some of the realities and some of the truths we see, okay, this is what it means to function as a restored people together, as the people of God in the church. And one of the things they did is they gathered together. But, but they gathered together as people who had met and responded to Jesus. Earlier in this, in verse 37, it just explains what has happened. It says, the people heard the good news, they heard the gospel, they heard that through placing your faith in Jesus, though we are naturally sinful enemies of God, he came and gave of his life and rose from the dead so that by placing our faith in him, we can be restored. We can be restored in our relationship to God and restored as his people together. And so these people heard that. They heard that sermon preached and they put their faith in Jesus and they responded And then what they did is they gathered together. So guys, I just want to kind of spend some time talking about what we do, what we're doing right now. We're gathered together, right, hearing the word of God. In this case, it says they heard the apostles teaching. Those are, for the most part, the authors of the New Testament were teaching and explaining these things. So they gathered together and they heard the teaching of God. What we do not do, all right, we just need to kind of settle in and call things like they are. For a lot of us, if you don't know, there are 168 hours in a week. And for a lot of us, 166.5 of those hours are spent doing things um, unrelated to what we're doing right now, right? We come to church, 
we kind of put in our time, we do our thing, we sing some songs, and it's the right thing to do. We're American, we're Christian, this is what we do. We come to church, and we fail to recognize how it relates to the rest of life. And sadly, even how it relates to the gospel of Jesus. Well, one of the most significant ways is simply by our coming together, by being here together like we are right now, we may not know this, but we need to understand, we are displaying the restorative work of Jesus. Because what happened, we actually talked about this a lot last week, when we sinned, humanity and us individually, we said, no thanks God, we turn our back on God, we're broken, right? We move away from God because of sin and away from each other, away from others. So there's a scattering Throughout the entire Bible, you see this, that people flee from one another, they're shamed, they're defined by brokenness, and they run away from one another, and there's, and there's disunity. But by coming together, we're, 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 we're practically, physically displaying the restorative work of Jesus moving toward one another. That though we're diverse, and by God's grace we pray we're growing in our diversity, Diversity, generationally, ethnically, socioeconomically, in every way, we're growing as a diverse people and we're moving together. So just by gathering together, we are displaying the good news. That, that, that our propensity to move away from one another, to be shy, to be ashamed, to, to live life separated, we gather together. So yes, in a moment we'll get to what that means in the other 167 days out of the week and hours, sorry, 167 hours out of the week, the other six days out of the week, and how we function and operate. But even this time is very, very purposeful. As Stephen said, you might not notice, every week we go through what's called a liturgy. If you're Catholic or from maybe a mainline denomination or from an Orthodox church, you understand what that is. And it's simply what do people do when they, what, gather together. And there's a, a rhythm and a consistency to that, that we come together, there's a call to worship, there's a confession of sin, um, together we do that. Then there is a time where we come under and we hear the good news of God preach, and then there's a time of response where we come and we gather together before the Lord's table, and we remember individually and corporately the work of Jesus laying down his life for us. And then we sing songs of worship and we pray for one another. And then there's a benediction that in light of God's word, we're sent out as his people, gathered and scattered under the good news of Jesus. So we do that week in and week out. So that's just a heads up. That's why we do the same things in the same flow. We believe that, is, that, is, that articulates and communicates the story of God. We gather together. And the good news of Jesus is not just that we gather together but that we commit to one another. So let's um, pick up in verse 44 here and just read how these people in the early church function together. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing um, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. And so there's this sense here of the people committing to one another, right? The selling of their possessions, the selling of what they had. Um, again, there's a prescriptive and a descriptive element here. 
Okay, we, we don't just say, oh, go sell everything you have. And then even in this case, we find out later on, not everyone sold everything. But there was a posture of commitment to one another and of surrender to God. But again, let's just do some real talk here as a people. We struggle with commitment. We've talked about it in our homes. And if we're honest with ourselves, just think about how much we're driven by a fear of commitment. In every facet of life. And that has bled into our our view of the church in so many ways. We are so driven by a consumeristic drive-by, I want to get what I want, meet my needs, and I'll go on my way, sense of church. In fact, let's just read um, an article, uh, a a quote from an article. Some of you guys um, have heard of a guy, George Barna. He's a, a researcher, kind of top. Um, he does re- research and various polls and things like that. And so um, um, Barna said this about our tendency as Christians today. He said, more than 7 out of 10 Americans, which is 72%, claim they have made a personal commitment to Jesus Christ. That is important to their life today. Okay, first of all, this was taken in 06. I'm sure those numbers have swayed some, but that's still a staggeringly high number, right? 72% of people in America say they've made a commitment in some form to Jesus Christ. But a survey examining some of the other commitments that adults make and avoid suggests that people are inconsistent in their spiritual perspectives. While nearly half of the adult population attends religious services during a typical week, people's conceptual bond to the local church remains tenuous. That means unstable for anyone that didn't go here to school at the U of A and went other schools in state. Just kidding. Just kidding. (laughs) Um, While nearly half of the adults, okay, there it is, tenuous, fewer than one out of every five adults firmly believes that a congregational church is is a critical element in their spiritual growth, and just as few strongly contend that participation in some type of community of faith is required for them to achieve their full potential. Only 17% of adults said that a person's faith is meant to be developed mainly by involvement in a local church. Okay, sum that up very simply. We struggle to commit. We are still so defined by me and God, me, myself, and I, I function, I'm the leader of my own destiny, have it my way, and in fact, how we function in churches in a lot of ways is, well, I kind of like this about this place, and I kind of like this about this place, and I'll kind of dip around and go in and out, and we're so driven by broken individuality. In fact, some people would even say, some of us may have even said, you know, I really like Jesus, but I don't really like the church. I love Jesus, but I hate the church, even more um, intensely said. Some people would say, I've, I've heard that said. You know, that's, Jesus refers to his church as what? His what? His, his bride. That's right. Jesus' bride. I, I'm a guy, and I have friends who are guys. We don't say, hey, I love you, bro. Man, your wife annoys me. I can't stand her. Like, I love you. Let's get together with your, your kids, your family. I don't really want to have anything to do with that. I, I like you. Let's hang out, but not your wife, not your family. Sorry, I'm uh, cracking up here, cracking and popping. Um, 
But, uh, um, so, so you're, you know, we don't say that, right? Like, that's something you kind of, you would, you would fight over that. That's not, that's not a way we, we operate, yet we think it's okay. Um, Jesus, who said, this is my bride for whom I lay down my life. He, he loves his church. He loves his bride. But again, we swim in such waters, and even, I'm ashamed to say, as churches, we present, come to this, we'll have bounce houses and smoke screens and clowns and, you know, whatever else, and we'll do a little dance and, you know, come to this and we will entertain you and let's hope you stay. Um, I don't know if there are clowns, bounce houses aren't all bad, we'll talk about some ways that those could be used for good, but at its... (laughs) At its very core, when we are driven by an, an entertainment drive-through um, propensity, just says, oh, I, I hope they stay, I hope you come. Let me just say this right now. If you have me on a pedestal in any way, take me off of it. Okay, I will let you down if I haven't already. Um, we as a church will let you down if we haven't already. I guarantee you. That's, um, we are broken people. And I've, and I've heard it said, what you win people with, you have to keep them with. And so that's why we just don't even try. No, we, we do try, right? <laughs> Unto the Lord. But we have to understand that as the very foundation, why we say um, all of life is all for Jesus. We exist for Jesus' glory and the good of Tucson. We say, I'm not the head pastor. I'm not the head of this church. Jesus is the lead pastor, the head pastor over his church. And, and we're not alone in this. Other churches do this. But we, that's why we explicitly, constantly say, come, hear about Jesus. We present Jesus. We together see Jesus and we respond to him. Because he will not let you down. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the head of his church. He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So again, unless you have me on a pedestal to make me taller, and that's it, um, then uh, take me off of it. Okay, we don't need um, to, 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 to present things of entertainment. In fact, um, I'm not, I'm not too afraid to, to have this sermon and to kind of call us to deeper commitment to one another because I know that ultimately it's what's best for you. It's what's best for me. We know that, right? Deep down we know we're called to something greater. We know that we're called to something beyond ourselves. And so let us see under God's word what it means to surrender all of ourselves, to commit, to be reminded, you're right, it's not about me. It's not a drive-through Burger King, have it your way. I'd like a, you know, Mick blessing with a side of um, entertainment and a, you know, basket full of lies, right? Ten ways to this and five easy steps to this. And no, that's not going to transform us. We're not here for information. We are here for transformation as God's people gathered together and committed to one another. And so let me, um, we're going to spend some more time here. I just want to, um, our, our, our very last point will be short, um, so we can spend some more time here in this second part of being committed together, because it's so unnatural, it's so counterculture, so counterintuitive. I just want to share um, two very practical ways that, um, that we reveal and show our commitment to one another. 
Okay, and, and one things, and these are not there are different reasons why you might, might not do these, but I just want to speak plainly. One is community. Moving toward one another in community. Alright, we say redemption communities. We don't just do that because that's what churches do and because we need to have something else to do to add to our Sundays and so we get together. But communities, and I've talked to you, if you're in college, if you're engaged in a consistent community where you're accountable and you're growing in God's Word, then we partner with most of the college groups on campus and we encourage that. But in general, this is a call to be involved in committed community. Because our propensity is to live life on an island, to make decisions on an island, to, um, to live life where we only present how we want to be perceived, to function in our families in one way in our homes, and then to um, function a different way here on Sundays. But um, those of you who are involved in my community have seen the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I've seen it in you. We see it together, right? We come together. You can't week in and week out, be, have a, a broken relationship as husband and wife and then show up and just put on a mask. Eventually, people who love you say, what, how's everything going? For me, you're in my home. You see things. Um, you see the way it is. You see when my kids are you know, swinging from chandeliers and all the craziness. We're, we're designed to live in community. And, and, and again, this is a tangible, practical expression of God's people restored together. And, and as we're a young church, we're growing, we're trying to begin new communities. I know that the days of the week don't work out for everyone, and there's a lot of details there. But, but I, what I'm asking you right now is to do a heart check and heart evaluation and saying, foundationally, is my propensity, is the way I operate as a Christian withdrawn from others? Do I say with my life, I love Jesus, but I hate his bride? Okay, we're called to live together as community. And then secondly, this is a discipleship issue. Discipleship means a follower. So if you're a disciple of Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus, directly connected to that is our giving. Is what we do with our money. Okay, and I'm gonna this is the conversation, the awkward conversation, not the one we have to have with our, you know, seven to fifteen year old kids. But this is kind of the conversation in a church, right? And again, um, because I love you, because I'm committed to pastor us in all of life, we have to have this conversation. What, what does Jesus say? He talks about this in Matthew chapter 6. He says, um, you cannot serve two masters. Either you will love the one and hate the other. You will be devoted to the one or despise the other. And he says, you cannot serve both God and money, or the term is earthly possessions. But again, how much does our life reveal that our master is something other than Jesus? Our possessions, our finances, our schedules, our individuality, whatever it might be, this drives my life. This drives me, Jesus, not you. And very practically, that's why God has given us a command. To give what is called the first fruits of our labors. The first fruits of what we've been given. Our kids um, are following Jesus, and we got them little piggy banks, little banks that has um, savings, spending, and the church. And they give. And already, I remember when I was like 
Like in sixth grade, I was challenged. Someone said, whatever you give, if you get $10 in your allowance, give um, 10% of that. And I was never good at math, so I, thought, I confused 10% uh, percent and a tenth. So I gave $1 out of my $10. I didn't understand that my math was off a little bit and, you know, kind of growing in what that meant. But, um, and I want to say, too, for some of you, if you've never given financially, 10% might, like, wreck you financially. And we're not in the business of seeing us be wrecked. But as we're in the business of discipling and growing as followers of Jesus, um, I'd love to talk to you and encourage you and challenge you. What's a good place to start? What, what does it look like to reveal through your finances that Jesus is your Lord? That he's your king, that he's your master? Some percentage, some consistent percentage of saying, Jesus, um, I trust in you. Of saying, my job, my resources, my life is in your hands. Um, in doing this consistently, I'm going to get really practical. You can go to uh, tucson.redemptionaz.com and there's a little tab that says give. And it explains why we give. It explains how to give. explains some more. And again, this is a discipleship issue. And I just want to say, from young to old, if you're in college and you, you know, work at McDonald's or you are a CEO of a company, it's a heart issue. It's a matter before Jesus of saying, you're my Lord. And really the amount ebbs and flows. And the amount isn't the driving factor. But what it reveals is Jesus your Lord. And with that I'll say this lastly. um, Because you're a part of this church. Right? You're here. You know we're a church plant. There's a lot of exciting things. I love seeing you excited about what God's doing here. We're about four and a half months old as a church plant, and it's a really exciting thing. And I just want to reveal, we're in kind of an adolescent stage as a church. Okay, so you all all might not know this, but in order to be in um, kind of an adult church, where our our prayer of existing for Jesus' glory and the good of Tucson, to bless others, to be a light to this city, to be a blessing, um, we need to be self-led, self Propagated, which means we have a leadership structure where people are emerging and growing in how to lead the church, and we need to be self-funded. And we're not there yet. We're not at that point yet. We, by God's grace, have a lot of other churches that believe in you, that believe in Tucson, that support this church, that um, churches in California and in um, Tempe. Guys, we cannot be dependent on Tempe. <laughs> We need to, so give for that. Um, no, we, but, but we're not currently self-funded. And again, we have a lot of college students, and I, I'm convinced that God has called us to be a church for a long-standing um, presence here in downtown Tucson. And a significant part of that is being a self-funded church. And so I just want to encourage you and challenge you and invite you. To partner in what God's doing. Redemption Church as a whole. I just want to share this encouraging statistic with you. Redemption Church as a whole. Again, one church, multiple congregations throughout Arizona. Um, we keep track of everything that we give, of everything that comes in. And um, last year, we um, spent less than what came in. Okay, we're, we're called to steward as a church what God entrusts. And really exciting too. Um, as a church, we got to give outside, so not even what is given to plant this church, but outside funds 
going to things that we don't, that aren't under our name, that aren't under the banner of Redemption Church, we got to give 11% of everything that came in. That's like, I think the number is somewhere around $800,000 was given to places overseas, to funding different social things for foster care and adoption and all kinds of things that we get to do. So individually, right, we use this language all the time, individually and corporately. We're called to be the restored people of Jesus through our gathering and through our commitment to one another. And then lastly, through that, the good news is that we get to be worshiping Jesus through our restoration by living on mission together. This is where the bounce houses come in. Um, but, but first and foremost, as we simply respond to Jesus and as he works in us, he draws people to himself. Pick up in the last verse there, verse 47. What happens? As these people are functioning together, depending on Jesus for everything, it says they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The, the byproduct of following Jesus, of living authentically alongside one another, of living in, in, um, in, in, in diverse community together, of gathering together, is there's favor. We, we saw this last week. People came in on their bikes, people who live in this neighborhood, who seemingly don't really know a whole lot about church and don't have a lot to say, but they just came and said, yeah, we've seen this going on. What's happening here? And Thank God our, our, our people out front are, were hospitable and, and, and really greeted them. They came in and got a hot cup of coffee and, um, and, they, and, they, and they said, yeah, we might come back. Just you see, it's attractive. God's work through us, restoring us, is attractive. So a lot of it is really just unintentional as we come together before Him, as He restores us. He continues His mission. And then as we see that, we get excited and there's a lot of in intentional stuff that we can do, right? We can have bounce houses maybe in the park one day. We can have meals and different things that we do, but it all comes back to the foundational reality of Jesus' commitment to us, His bride, restoring us as His people as we gather together, as we commit to one another, and as we live on mission together. So as we, as we close, I want to ask you just a couple things. First, let me challenge you, if you're new here today, if you've never heard the good news of Jesus laying down his life so you can have new life in him, um, you've kind of seen the reality of the church, the underbelly, if you will. This is kind of in-house talk to some degree, but, but it's very purposeful too, because this, um, let it be known, if you don't know Jesus, all of life is not about doing the right things and wearing a collared shirt and voting a certain way and doing certain things. It's about hearing and understanding and responding to the good news that nothing you do will get you right standing with God. But Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. I will give you life. So first and foremost, um, have you personally trusted Jesus individually? So we'll come before the table and respond individually, representing and declaring that good news. And then secondly, corporately, are you in a community 
Do, do you live your Christian life on an island in some way? Do you keep a safe distance? I understand it's scary. But the good news of you being fully loved and fully forgiven and fully embraced and fully welcomed in Jesus means that you and I are now free to come together with all our junk to live real life alongside one another in light of the real good news, the gospel of Jesus. Are you involved in com- community? How, how will you today, what's your next step to move closer to others? And then lastly, do you give? Specifically to the local church, there's a charge for all of us to give, to openly represent our faith and our trust in Jesus. Have you given? Will you give? Do you have any questions about that? I'd love to talk to you about that. I'd love to encourage you in that. But again, this is a discipleship issue. What's your next step in obedience as a follower of Jesus? And now, um, as, I, as I close us in prayer and as we respond in worship and communion and prayer, um, I just want to again remind you, I, I, lo- I love, love you. I, I love my job. I love even having these hard conversations because it always brings us back to the good news of Jesus. So now let's sing and pray as we get to live on mission, on his mission, alongside one another, a restored people in the church. Let's pray. Again, Lord, thank you, um, Jesus, that you are the head of the church. Thank you that your church is dependent upon you and your leadership. So thank you that I don't have to have anxiety as a pastor, as a church planter, because I know this isn't my deal. It's not my job. Lord, thank you that it's not our job. Thank you that we get to come together responding to you in faith. And Lord, we get to gather together. Lord, isolation and shame is put to death. We get to reflect that week in and week out as we move toward one another in, in our, our corporate worship, in our, in our community. And Lord, thank you that you have given us the command to give as a constant reminder that our hope and our security and our consistency is not dependent upon our um, 401ks and 403bs and what is in our savings and whatever else it might be. But thank you that you are our sustainer and our provider, Lord Jesus. And thank you, lastly, that you use what we give to advance your kingdom. That is an incredible honor, and we thank you for that. And I pray now that we respond with gladness and joy and worship. In Jesus' name. Amen.